Welcome everyone to JCV Art Studio Season 4. Gosh, Season 4 is starting to kind of wind down a little bit. My name is Joanna. I am the author of The Unraveling and Dealer's Child, and I've been researching The Hague, and uh, I'm going to be getting my edits back soon. And it's weird because I've been so, I would say, invested in The Hague and in Holland that the thought of doing rewrites back in Victoria, where book three takes place, is it's just I'm kind of having to do like a little mental shift, right? But anyways, today I have thriller author Susan Jane Wright with me. Now Susan has just come off a book launch of her second Evie Valentine series, that book being The Glass Lake. Susan is a Crime Writers of Canada Awards of Excellence finalist. Her debut novel, Box of Secrets, was in Amazon's top 100 and held the number three spot, then moved to the number two spot in its second week of release. And she's going to let me know where it placed in um, in the Calgary, in Calgary, because it, 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 it just boom, 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 climbed up those charts. Mm -hmm. So now, Susan was a lawyer and an executive in the energy sector before she became a writer. Her legal career took her from the boardrooms in Calgary to the streets of Beijing. She received the PIA Public Interest Award for Southern Alberta and the Canadian Law Blog Award for her legal blog, Susan on the Soapbox. Susan, welcome. Thank you so much. I am really delighted to be here. Oh, good, good. So well, tell me, tell me, Box of Secrets, I know you've told me this before, but whether it's brain fog, Susan, or just having too much on the on my on my little agenda here, Box of Secrets, it it like it it was like a ladder going up the list, wasn't it? Yeah. It, it well, it started off at number three and then went to number two and it was beaten out. It never made number one because oh. Hillary Clinton and uh, Louise Penny's book was okay. there. Okay. So that was fine. I mean, we can, wow. we can live with that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just, I had to turn the dog around a bit because he was staring at the big dog and um, mm -hmm. the big dog doesn't like that. So now let's get back to the program wow. here. Mm -hmm. When in time, are we picking up from book one of Box of Secrets? Is it months later, um, a year later? Like, how's Evie doing? From So we go from Box of Secrets to the Glass Lake. What's the time span like, and, and how's Evie doing? It's roughly a year later. It's... Um, um... Uh, it, it moves us into winter time, but actually the timeline moves. So when the book opens, it starts in November and, um, you know, a, a, a terrible calamity happens. And then we move back in time to January to look at how this um, terrible situation evolved. Yeah. And like many things in thrillers, it always seems innocuous. You know, the first little thing that happens is not a big deal. The second little thing isn't a big deal. But when you line them all up, it's like a, like a series of dominoes. Yeah. And then one thing goes over and then the whole thing turns into this tremendous mess. So it, it goes, it travels back and forth between um, January, February, March, as Evie's working on uh, trying to get um, a special new kind of technology onto a gas pipeline, which will make that pipeline um, truly net zero 
to November when it is really obvious that the whole thing was a fiasco. It just didn't work out. So I, I'm probably jumping ahead to, <laughs> from where you wanted to go. But uh, yeah, it so it moves back and forth in time. And then the two timelines meet up and then we go through how is she going to fix this? Yeah. So, okay. Now I'm thinking about that. How hard is that to write? Like I'm thinking with the timelines, just mm -hmm. as an author, you've got so much you're trying to keep track of in your own head okay with characters yeah. i yeah. mean and then your editor points out to you that you have a magical red door appearing where it didn't appear before <laughs> okay so yeah how did you find that though writing with the different timelines now you well, must actually, be a plotter yeah i am a plotter so okay. I, I i what i did was i set out the timeline i actually always do that with every book even though um this one really needed it because yeah. i had to keep the timeline straight but I always do that because I need to know what time of year it is, what the characters are doing, you know, I, when they go outside, are they freezing to death? Are they, yeah. are, is it lovely and warm? So for me, it's important to know that in January this happened and in February that happened. So what I did was I started with November, which is when it all goes to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> and then I went back to, so how long would this take to evolve if, as, as a, a lawyer working on a, on a deal? How long would it take to get this well, when would you start it? When how long would it take to move it through the process? What do you do if something isn't working properly? What would the company do then? You yeah. know, and and where would you get that tension? So the the only thing I had to sort of work with was um, uh, my anchor was November, yeah. and then I had to go back to January, February, March, and make sure I, things lined up there. And then the seasons, what the seasons would be like. Absolutely, yeah. The seasons, the seasons were fun, and I don't know whether you guys do this in in Vancouver, but. Those of us who live on the Canadian Prairie here in Calgary, we are so focused on the weather. Yeah. I mean, we are always fussing about the weather and talking about what it's going to be. And, and the weather changes quite dramatically around here. But it's a big element in our lives. And I didn't realize it until I was thinking about, you know, writing a book and thinking about even what is she wearing? She's not just going to dart out there in, in flip-flops, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I've got to, now that I think about it, see, on the coast, <laughs> It's either sunny or it's rain. <laughs> okay. Like we don't get a lot of snow. No. Because when we do get snow, it it all havoc breaks out because nobody knows really, nobody knows really how to drive in it unless you're from the prairies or you're from yeah. Ontario, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just thinking about it with my own. I, I've never really had to think too much about the seasons, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. of that. Okay, so what I'm finding that in book three, and especially in book four, I'm becoming braver in the situations my character Jade is being subject to. Okay, um, and it, it's it's been neat. Um, do I dare mention that there may even be more romance <laughs> in the fourth <laughs> book, which I laugh at, given I Harlequin once told me I my storylines were too dark. Okay. Oh, so, that's perfect for a, for a thriller then. Yeah. So are you finding with your writing that you as a writer that you're starting to branch out more and putting your characters in a tougher situation or tougher situations? What I find actually, it's it's uh, not so much that I'm being more demanding on myself. I'm being more demanding about um, Evie. Yeah. 
Okay. So, so she starts off in the first book, she's working on a political campaign and it has, it was in the dead of summer and she is, um, you know, working through the campaign issues and dealing with uh, another issue that arises that turns out to be quite deadly. And in this one, she's now being put in a situation where she's working hand in glove with a bunch of engineers who are trying to get something done. And she's working in areas that are very new to her. Okay. So, and, and they're very dangerous. They're not dangerous in the sense of you, you, you walk down a, um, a dark alley and someone jumps out and mugs you. They're dangerous in the sense of you have no idea what's going on beneath the surface of, of, of the earth where you're walking along. And for all you know, any minute now, something could blow up and kill you right there on the spot. And, and it's something that here in, in Alberta, we don't think about a lot, but our entire province is, is a spider web of pipelines. And they are everywhere. And and they're natural gas, like many, many natural gas pipelines. And you just, you know, you put a flame to a natural gas leak and it blows up. Um, Oil is a different story. And it tends to go in bigger pipelines, big fat ones. And um, it it doesn't, it comes out and it's bad. It pollutes the atmosphere or not the atmosphere, but the ground. Um, But it won't actually explode on you that way. Wow. Yeah. So it's just the, the the whole, like it started me thinking about what is all this and what is she going to do when she realizes that she's up against um, someone who is going to go ahead with his plans because it, it, it basically means money in his pocket. And he's taking what he thinks is a calculated risk where she's going, you can't put people in danger like that. Yeah. And so what, the, what is she going to do? Yeah. And what, what I find is that, uh, there aren't as many legal tools. People think that the law will save you, right? The law will fix it. <laughs> yes, I know. It makes you laugh, doesn't it? You know, oh, well, we'll just get an injunction. Well, you just, it, that doesn't, it's not how things work. No. You know, nobody can show up in front of a court and say, I want you to stop these guys. Hardy hard. Oh. You know, it, it just doesn't work that way. No. So um, uh, it, it's that whole dilemma of when the law fails you, when you as a lawyer who you've exhausted all your legal remedies, you still can't protect the people you want to protect. Then what do you do? Yeah. No. Yeah, definitely. Now, with the Glass Lake, um, like I said, I was fortunate to have an advanced reader's copy. And I I have to admit, I did not, it was, I wanted to finish it, mm-hmm. but I did want to finish it because mm-hmm. I wanted to leisurely read it and read it as a book book. Okay, because yeah, if you yeah. love books, you want to, you want the I paper books, right? Mm-hmm. Like I I don't I I don't use my e-reader a lot, mm-hmm. and I know when I was started reading it, and I saw it was about pipelines. It's more than just about pipelines, but as I was reading it, I thought this is something different. Okay, um, just I'll just say pipelines exploding. Mm-hmm. from a female author's perspective and it was do you find that when you pick up books it's almost like you're trying to satisfy that need of an author writing something different and going off on that different traject trajectory that different story trajectory and that is what i found was so cool with your book i thought mm-hmm. Okay, like I'm just gonna throw out some big names here, like Dan Brown. You know, I don't know if Grisham has written a book about pipelines and pipelines exploding, but I I just thought 
yes okay <laughs> it's like that need was satisfied and I thought all right so that's why like I said I got about two-thirds of the way through and I thought I don't want to find out yet I want the real physical book and I want to be who sit like propped mm-hmm. up in my chair and thoroughly enjoying this ride okay so on to the question okay <laughs> do you feel that being a self-published author it allows you that freedom to write books that are really hard to find on the shelves i think there's something to that because i think that um the traditional publishers have a sense of what the traditional market or or, or what a um, mystery market would look like or a thriller market and they do tend to maybe land more like um dan brown or or Scott Turrell or something like that. And so this comes at it from a different perspective. And, and, and the other thing that happens, I mean, it's not like we haven't seen movies or stories about um, clean energy that goes haywire. Yeah. And I was thinking back on I, one of my favorite Keanu Reeves movies was, um, oh, no, I forgot the name of it, Chain Reaction. Okay. Which, which involved uh, a scientist developing a new kind of machine that would create uh, clean energy. Yeah. And what he had to do, what what happened was the the, um, the bad guys were trying to stop this from coming out of the market because it would kill the entire uh, energy sector as we know it, right? The the yeah. fossil fuel guys, because who could, <laughs> if you can get clean energy for peanuts, then that's the end of that. Yeah. So that was what that was about. But that was way back when, and and, and it wasn't about how did this happen. It was more about it blew up. Now what do we do? Like we have to get out of here and save our lives. Yeah. So what I was focusing on was just how does this happen? And and we have pipeline explosions all the time. Yeah. They they are yeah. happening all over the place. Some are big, some are small. And when the the big ones go terribly wrong, you know, I mean, that 12, 13 people die. It's just people minding their own business, having yeah. their dinner at their kitchen table, and suddenly their house is in flames. Yeah, with no warning. Yeah. So how did that happen? And and from my background working in, in the sector, um, I've had a chance to see firsthand how that can happen yeah. and how that does happen. And one of my friends, the girl that, that was the that was instrumental in helping me deal with it from an engineering perspective, is herself a, an engineer. Yeah. And she said, um, pipelines don't blow up for um, just because they blow up. They blow up because of poor management. And management, and it's because management makes decisions, right? Yeah. So management's saying we're not going to do maintenance this year because we're trying to. We don't want to take the pipeline down out of service because the cost of natural gas is so high that we're getting lots of money. We can't take it out of service. Yeah. And then when the price of natural gas is real low, well, we don't want to take it out of service now because you know what little profit we're making is going to be lost if we don't have gas flowing in the system. So there's always that battle of, and that's why the engineers say you've got to maintain this thing and you have to check it once every four years. I don't care what's going on in the marketplace. Yeah. And you have that fight going on where, where the, the CEO is saying, uh, no, <laughs> we're not doing it yet. And and these, these are the dynamics that play into, into the background of all of these things. Uh, any, I think any explosion you've ever seen, if you dig deep enough, you'll find that somebody somewhere made a decision that they should never have made. Wow. So that's yeah. that's sort of my background. Yeah. And, and I know um, there are lots of good lawyers and other good engineers working in companies who've said, um, I have to go to the wall on this one because we have to we have to take a look at the system. We have to fix it. We can't patch it. Yeah. We can't sort of uh, duct tape our way through this. 
because this is serious. That's so reassuring to hear. (laughs) I'm going to go to the wall to the, that is so reassuring to hear. Okay. Well, and and it's, it's hard. I mean, I have a lot of respect for the guys who do that because it is hard, you know, eventually depending on who your senior management is, people who go to the wall can find themselves out of a job and um, uh, it's just not right. So that's why you have sort of the health and safety people, the regulators who, who, insist that you send them reports all the time you've got external parties looking at it to say okay let's make sure you're doing what you said you're going to do yeah okay okay because otherwise it's catastrophic it's just yeah. catastrophic okay so when you're writing this mm-hmm. and not giving anything away did you know from the start who the culprit was or as you're working through your story and the characters reveal, reveal, like for me, they do, they reveal themselves. Mm-hmm. Did you ever at one point stop and go, wait a minute, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not what I had planned. Has, has that ever happened with you? Uh, in this book, what I, I knew who the ultimate bad guy was. Yeah. Uh, but what happened was the, the people that Evie was working more closely with, it was difficult for me when I was starting to land whether they were good or bad or what their what was their motivation because okay. um in any big corporation like this money plays a huge factor the money you can make at the senior levels in corporations like this is phenomenal Jeez. and so the the that human nature being what it is that weighs on people and they are inclined to go along because it means they'll be getting all their bonuses and everything else even if they have concerns yeah. And so, you know, the whistleblowers who pop up and say, you've got, to, you've got to stop this. It takes a lot of courage, I think, on their part, because we're talking mega millions here. You know, yeah. people are making millions of dollars. CEOs are making, in any sort of big company here in Calgary, they're making $14 million a year. Easy. Jeez. That's a year. Jeez. You know, and that's nothing compared to some of the big firms in the, in the U.S. Yeah. So if they're making $14 million, then the people who report to them are making Oh, I don't know, 10, nine. Jeez. And that's a year. So that yeah. when, when someone says to you, you know, you're making this really difficult. And if the share price tanks, we will all suffer. People fuss around. They they do things that maybe they, they get compromised. Let's put it that way. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, I know it's interesting with characters because what I found and what made me think of that question was because I'm I'm in I always call it the honeymoon porridge draft stage of book four. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh I knew it involved, I knew a reporter was coming onto the scene. Okay. So I had this reporter. And then so this what had happened is the scene, the reporter opens the door, and then there's a wife his wife behind him with a baby. And what happened was the wife, who is a reporter, because she's been, you know, at home working with like raising this child, all of a sudden she comes to life when my character starts asking her questions. Mm-hmm. And so then it's like, okay, where did she come from? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why I was wondering if, if have you had in like, uh, instance, uh, instances like that where 
the yeah. characters and you're just like, whoa, who are you? <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And and it's funny how it pops up because uh, I have had that experience too. And it's funny how it pops up in the most unexpected places. Yeah. So they're the, a young engineer. She's a widow, has three children, two twins, 10 year old, two 10 year old twins and a little girl, Amy, who's four. This little girl is the most amazing little girl. And she turns out to be critical in helping Evie figure out what the heck is really happening and why it's happening. And and she's she's a um she's always trying to sort of hold her own with her 10-year-old twin brothers, and she's continually sort of in their face with things. But um uh what I find with her is she she just developed, she's a very spunky little thing. She doesn't seem like she would be. She's kind of quiet and she's small and she's thoughtful, yeah. but then she ends up just doing stuff. And so when she did one thing, her brothers got into big trouble. And then after the whole thing was over and their parent, her mother uh, basically told them that she was very disappointed in what had happened. The boys go into their bedroom and the little girl's drawing dragons on a piece of paper and she picks up her, her paper and she's going to take it in and show them. Yeah. And, they, and they're just like, oh, God, go away. You yeah. know, but this little girl is she's just got a spirit of her own. Yeah. And, and like I said, she she turns out to be very instrumental in the story. So she became, um, I think, a bigger part of the story than I had originally thought she would be. OK, well, mm-hmm. I have to say that and I'm not trying to I'm going to word this very carefully because I don't want to give anything away because I don't want the reader to lose out on the experience the one of the opening scenes on the lake mm-hmm. with the mom and i think with the twin boys and the girl yeah that has got to be a mother's worst nightmare, nightmare. that's right holy crow <laughs> when I, know. I was reading that susan i was just like oh you know yeah. like and that's all I'm going to say. So bravo that, like I thought, mm, this scene. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for yeah. that. Cause it, it was one of those things that as I was thinking about it, I thought, what would you do? Yeah. Especially if you're in a situation where, you know, this, this is going to go real bad, real fast. I'd be what screaming. Would you do? I'd be mm-hmm. screaming at all of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> running like, like literally yeah. running like hell. Oh, that's right. That's okay. Right. So did you find, Anyone's storyline difficult? Um, like I, we mentioned before, you plot. So was there any aspect of this novel that was difficult to write? Like, because I know sometimes with myself, you know, it's like trying to, I'll have the main storyline and like, I don't plot. Mm-hmm. And then like another storyline, it's like, okay, yeah, that's good. That's good. And then let's say another storyline. And then somehow something, it's like a, a stray, th- one storyline becomes a stray thread. And it's, that's why you have an editor who kind of hauls you back all in. But have you mm-hmm. find that was, did you sway off on, you You plot though, you're not a pantser, right? <laughs> but no, but, but, yeah, <laughs> you make a good point because what happened was I started it with two strong storylines. Yeah. And what happened was the the one of those strong storylines because you have, you know you have your subplot and whatnot, yeah. but one of those storylines was um, made things too confusing. Okay. So and, and given that uh, the backdrop to this is a pipeline company and it's a very big pipeline company, so there's a lot of corporate things that you know that can happen. And it was working with another company that was a complicated company, and and it 
kind of got confusing. And my editor, bless her heart, said, yeah. I'm losing track of these people. Okay. So I basically cut that right out. Yeah. And and I have I still have the, the the fundamental story is a strong story, but it doesn't have the the extra extraneous stuff that um, was had a potential to cause confusion. And I mean, that's the last thing you want to do. Right. Is to have your reader go. I'm, I'm done. I can't figure this out. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I, I had actually taken the uh, the first book, Box of Secrets. I was invited to to present it at a book club. And we were talking about the, the details and, and people were talking about how they liked it. And then one of them said, one of the, the people in the book club said um, that her mother had said that she wishes the books would come with a pullout page at the very beginning yeah. that would have on it the name of all the characters and who they are. Evie Valentine, lawyer. Uh, okay. Louisa Valentine, Evie's sister, nurse, you know, because she said it'd be really nice to be able to do that because sometimes the stories move along, you know, you, you open a new chapter and you're going, who the heck is this? <laughs> and it reminded me of those Russian novels, which are hard to read because all the names are Russian, obviously. So they don't stick in your head the same way as, they, as um, the names we're used to. But they would have, often they would have a, a blurb at front, up front telling you who all these people were. To save you the effort of rummaging around in there going, okay, I know this person's important or, or just breezing by and going, maybe I'll figure it out as I'm halfway through. Because, you know, what confusing the reader is probably only one step better than boring them to tears. And yeah. both of those are bad. Both of those are bad, bad, bad. So, okay. yeah, I think, I think, and that, that's the whole idea of, of, you know, kill your darlings. You, where you basically say, I love this whole storyline, but it can't go in this book. Yeah. So and how it goes. And I'm thinking with with the book four I'm working on, I may just do that mm -hmm. because I have some European names, mm -hmm. which I'm not saying they're confusing, but they're Dutch names. I oh, mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. And um, some definitely Central European names, which I cannot call this person, you know, Bob, because that no. would just be right. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. So actually, Susan, I'm glad you mentioned that because I may just do that with the the book four just to keep. Yeah, yeah. I think it helps, and you know, and I, and I don't think I don't think it's um, a bad thing to do. I think that good writers have done this sort of thing in the past, and I think why not make it easier for your reader so you don't make them work so darn hard over just who this person is, as opposed to what is this person doing and why. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good point. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think you, we already discussed this about, you know, plots mm -hmm. and were there any scenes that took a detour? Um, because I know that's what's happening now with this recent one. And it's been, it's been great because this, this female reporter named Helena, you know, like I'm getting ideas for her, as I'm getting out of the shower. So yeah, do yeah. you find that? Like, yeah. literally, I don't know what it is. <laughs> okay, we're, going, we're going on a detour here, Susan. <laughs> yeah. but, but no, it, actually, I think showers are really good for creativity. I don't know whether it's this basic instinct that drove us from the ocean onto the land when we way before we became human beings. But there's a there's a curiosity or something that comes from being in the shower. Yeah. And and you're you're in a different zone altogether. Yeah. And then, you know, little ideas pop into your head and you're going, oh, there's a cool idea. And then you try to try that out. Right. Yeah. And you pray you don't forget it between getting out of the shower and getting to the to the, your computer, which yeah. I've done before. You know, I've come tearing out here to write and making myself a little note on a notepad. Yeah. Just so that I don't lose that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think I think showers are fantastic for it. 
Um, I, I think this is why people who are married to the writers think the writers are so strange because they go into a little zone. You know, they're they're doing the dishes and someone's talking to you and you're not listening because yeah. <laughs> your your mind is on something else. I've done that. I've, mm-hmm. I, and I think I, I have mentioned it on other podcasts where, you know, Ed's talking to me about the Canucks and I'm just, I'm going, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm cutting up lettuce, you know, just mm-hmm. making a Caesar. And um, I have no idea what he has just told me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to admit that it was something to do with the game. Right. Yes. You know? yes. Yeah. So you hold contests leading up to your launch yes i did mm-hmm. and the, these are really cool and what it reminds me of is way back and i got so hooked on these there was a facebook game where you had to try to find the no it wasn't a labradoodle but it was a particular dog and i can't even remember his name and there'd be this picture and I got so hooked on trying to find where this dog was hidden in the picture mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and your contests remind me of, of this so can you explain your contest first sure. and then what has been the most surprising photo or participant answer or reaction to one of your yeah. photos well actually what happened was I thought I've got uh, Instagram is good for this because you can actually set up an Instagram photo and if you do them in a sequence, you can you can take your picture, break it into nine equal parts, and post each piece. And as you post each piece, the picture becomes more and more complete. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. That'll be a good one to do. Because uh, throughout the piece, you keep hearing, you know, little Amy, the little girl draws dragons, and there's this little bit of a conversation about dragons going on in the book. And so I thought, I, I, I was on in Victoria visiting, actually. And I took a photo of a really gorgeous dragon in Chinatown. Yeah. And I, I and I the first photo, the first piece of the photo went out was a little tiny piece oh. of the middle of its tail. Yeah. And and what floored me was somebody came back and said it's a, dra- a dragon in Chinatown. I went, how the heck did they get that? Yeah. So I had eight other pieces that were now sort of defunct because <laughs> she. So she ended up. Um, basically saying she was she was happy with not being credited with that win she wanted a different win for a different contest and so then I I basically had to put like wait for the next but I put out the next picture yeah so picture number eight out of nine someone else got it I thought what is it with these people they all know what a a dragon looks like later I found out that every Chinese dragon is red oh so there you go (laughs) and and I realized I should have changed that yeah. But I put that all up there. But so as far as, you know, what surprised me, what surprised me was how engaged people were and how they guessed that damn thing yeah. based on two two shots. Because it's like the bottom corner of a nine-piece puzzle. Yeah. You know, when you're a child and you have a, a, those bigger puzzles. Yeah. So then I had to put the whole thing up. And then I had to come up with a new contest. And this one is something, this is a game that we used to, I used to play around here with the, my girls, even like they're adults. And I'd take a photo of something as an extreme close-up. Like yeah. really, really close. So I'd have the corner of something and and basically send it out to them on a text and say, so what's this? Yeah. And they'd come back with all sorts of guesses about what it could be. And then I'd finally tell them where they guess it. And I, I was doing that throughout. And that was a lot of fun. So we, we did that all the way through the lead up to the launch. Yeah. And then we decided we would do a simple one yeah. on the day of the launch. Neat. And it turned out nobody could get it. Yeah. 
And what it was, was, you know, the, the, the drain stopper in your kitchen sink, yeah. it was in the kitchen sink and it was full of bubbles because the, the drain had just been drained and it was just the rim. And people thought it was a tire in the snow. People that was me. It was a bird. Yeah. <laughs> we thought it was a bird bath, you know, yeah. that it was full of ice. And, and I just thought that should, uh, I thought it was easier. So it's just whatever you're used to. Right. Yeah. But it was fun. It was, and, and what I, what I enjoyed too, was there some people who were really, really competitive. Yeah. And they, they kept throwing in, you know, if, is it this, is it this, is yeah. it this? We had to keep going, no, 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 but you're going to yeah. go. So it was, it was a lot of fun. So and it's the way you're trying to drum up interest in the launch, right? So I have to ask, because yeah. I know I guessed on one where I thought they were marbles and I didn't catch the Facebook post of yeah. what it was. You had said I was close. Yeah. Chinese checkers. That's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. They were Chinese checkers for my close up shot. Yeah. And, and from the side, right, as opposed to looking down on them, which is more of a dead giveaway from the side, they were they were there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was a good guess. OK. Mm-hmm. OK. But I, I, I can relate to some of the other people because I'm thinking of that one. I think I would have said I think I said marbles and I was tempted then to say, OK, bocce balls. Throw it in there. Throw it in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Okay. So you just had your book launch and I am so happy for you because when um, Box of Secrets came out, we were in lockdown, and I mm-hmm. think every author should have that joy of a real, I say real, book launch, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I've heard an author once say that after the book is published, it's like a bit anticlimactic. You know, you're in this different period because you've worked so hard over months, years to produce this book, and you know like the other individuals involved in producing this book. But would you say that once the physical book is published, it's not like it ends, like the work doesn't stop. There's like promote, promote, promote. How do you feel about that? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's, that's one of the harder parts of being a writer is that you'd rather write. Yeah. Then then promote, promote, promote. And one thing about being a um, an indie writer is that you do your own promotion as opposed to working for a big traditional firm, which may or may not actually, to yeah. be frank, uh, do much promotion for you. So other firms, like many big ones, will have you set up in, in um, um, signing sessions in various stores across the country or something. Yeah. Well, we, we can't do that. We can't afford to do that. But what I, I was thinking about with the promotion was – um, I, what I did was I had invited everyone I knew to come to the launch here in town. And then um, uh, and a lot of people came because I think we were all looking for we, we all wanted to get out. You know, you get cooped up in the house. And some of us, many people wore masks. I didn't because I was speaking. But um, it was a way of getting us all out there. And then what I did after that was I sent a note to all the people who could not come. Yeah. And to let them know that uh, the launch had gone ahead, it was successful, and here's the link if you're interested in buying the book. And then I could, then I brought that out to all my friends from across the country. The one thing that Zoom does yeah. is you can invite people from all over the planet to your your launch. Yeah. Uh, and, and whereas you can't do that when you're just doing it in, in a local bookstore, for example. Yeah. But at the same time, it and I'm now thinking about um, uh, what I probably should do is make uh, an appearance 
at some of the the indie bookstores in the areas around us. Now I haven't sorted that out yet, okay. but uh, it's, it's just trying to keep your name yeah, in in the the eye of the the public so yeah. you can do that. One thing I did find out from the, the we did the launch at the Owl's Nest and the Owl's Nest um, people are really good. It's a great bookstore. They let me know that as far as the book publishers association of alberta goes my book the guy the glass lake hit number two <gasps> for uh, the calgary bestsellers and it actually a box of secrets came up as number seven so people were buying it at the same time which was kind of cool so you know i mean it, it and that's the initial burst and then you have to keep trying to keep pushing that forward and i think the more books you have the easier it is yeah. because then when you people become interested because it takes them a while to find you yeah. And when they finally find you on book number six or something, then yeah. they start going back to your earlier work. I've heard five. Five is a, five? a is a magic number. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. But so I'm I know I keep bugging you about this. Any chance of something virtual? Something <laughs> like a, for what? A virtual launch? A virtual launch. Yeah. Um, yeah, that actually is a really good point. I keep I know I keep bugging you about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's it's. Uh, I haven't I haven't given it a whole bunch of thought because I was focused on this other stuff. Yeah. But I think that is I think that's something new that we learned after COVID came through. Yeah. That the virtual launches can be really good. Now, and, and I find what makes it fun is when, when there's a story involved in the launch itself. People need to see something more than just maybe you talking. Yeah. That, uh, not what that is is a different story too. Yeah. You know? Okay. Okay. What are cool. you going to do with your book? Are you going to? Well, it's a little ways out yet, but yeah. uh, actual launch, real launch. Yeah, I'm going to do an actual launch, world permitting. Okay, <laughs> world permitting, health permitting, and I'm thinking something virtual too. And cool. it just in terms of what you were talking about promoting, um, I've actually been I've been approached by one of the big five to oh, promote good. one of their authors. Yes. So, yes. Uh, yeah. It's it's whether you're you're you know with a big five publisher mm -hmm. or self published. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just getting the name out there. It's getting those new reader, readers, right? That's right. That's getting right. Those new readers. Yeah. 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 So no. Well, congratulations! Congratulations to you on that podcast. Then. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. It it's it's pretty cool, <laughs> right? So. Um, yeah, no, that's, but with, with mine, I'm thinking, uh, yeah, definitely. I would love to have another in-person event. Mm -hmm. I'm probably not going to be doing that until June, July. That's what I'm mm -hmm. thinking. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. But with, with this one I'm working on, it's like I say, it's, it's that honeymoon porridge draft. So <laughs> we're not, I, it's not going to be seeing the light of day probably till 2024. Okay. But I know people have said to me, you really should go to Holland. You know, you really yes. should go to Holland. And mm -hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm, <laughs> right? That's, oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Just because mm -hmm. I'm finding it fascinating, right? Mm -hmm. So, so Susan, what's next? Come on, what's next? Well, I'm working on my, my <coughs> the book that follows this one. And that one actually pushes Evie out of her comfort zone. She gets to, uh, she she moves into worlds that she's not familiar with. One is the academic world. Her um, uh, law prof mentor dies mysteriously, and she's trying to sort that out. And that draws her right into the intrigue of university life. 
Yeah. And and actually, I was quite interested. I was um, having some research meetings with old university profs talking about how law school has changed. Oh, wow. And, and it, it has changed. One thing they said, this uh, the new law students won't like this, but one thing they said, and there was an older one and a younger prof, so I was talking to them both at the same time, was they found students now need to be spoon-fed more. Really? Yes. And we're talking about law students who have done four years of a, of a university education and then got into law school, who are um, looking at the professors and basically saying, and one of them said, I, you know, I presented this material with PowerPoint slides. And one of the kids said, it's moving too fast. You need another slide in here. And basically, uh, we wouldn't have dreamed of opening our mouths and saying anything to our profs like yeah. that. The other thing that that the both profs said was that well one prof actually taught using the Socratic method so you were expected to read the case material show up in class know that inside out and backwards and then as he talked about the materials he would stop and he'd ask a student in the class a question yeah and the, and the Socratic method basically builds on questions asked and your answers and where does that lead you to and he said students came to him both um, after the class and in his evaluations and said, please don't call on me with the Socratic method because I feel vulnerable. Well, we would have died before we opened our mouth and said that yeah, to our prof. In fact, I think it would have meant that your prof would have been asking you questions every single bloody class. Yeah. So um, things have changed from, from the way they were when I went to law school. And both profs said they're just finding the students seem to be a little bit more entitled, that's what I'd say. Oh, wow. so, anyway, that's the university setting. And then what Evie gets mixed up in is that university setting and also the the world of, of um, amylite mining. Amylite is a gemstone found here in Alberta. Yeah. It's, it's found in some other places too, but the best amylite is found in, in southern Alberta. And amylite actually comes from a fossilized cephalopod. It's, <laughs> it's like a little sort of a, a spiral-shaped shell. Yeah. And these things are, they can be, if they're high quality, um, there was one that was stolen out of the window in a Banff um, uh, jewelry store, and it was worth $500,000. So if you break that thing up and make it into jewelry, wow. you know, it could be a lot of money. And uh, it, it, they're sold on auction at Christie's and places like that. So there's a whole different uh, element to it that she's starting to find. It, it, these two stories sort of overlap because the characters overlap. Cool. And she's working her way through an area that she knows nothing about. Yeah. You know? That's cool. So I've just, okay, I'm, we're going on another tangent, Susan, now that I've got you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Go you right ahead. You were talking about, you know, characters and familiar characters. And like I'm finding with, like I said, this fourth one that I'm working on, there are a lot of new characters because it's a totally new location. Sure. So do you find, though, it's almost so when I, for example, Sage ends up joining Jade in The Hague. Yes. And it was like as soon as Sage showed up on the pages, the writing just started to flow. Have you found that with, because you were, you just mentioned about what characters, you know, characters you're taking from this book yeah. onto the next. Have you yeah. found, noticed anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think bringing the characters into a new location and bringing someone with them. Yeah. Helps because you've got a different perspective, like different perspectives of whatever that situation is happening right there in real time on your page. Yeah. And and it, it makes for a more interesting conversation, I think. 
and and um, just listening to how people see things. You know, and I'm sure you've read books like that too, where you, in chapter one we hear it from um, character A's perspective, and then chapter two we get it from character B's perspective, and they're talking about the same incident, and they they're not they don't have the same view of what just happened. They can completely yeah. miss the boat. Yeah. So it, it just shows you how unique our own perception is, how we live in our own little worlds. Yeah. So tossing them all on the page and seeing what they do with that is a lot of fun. Cool. Okay, cool. Well, Susan, is there anything I haven't asked that you'd like to add? No, I, th I think this is just great. If anyone wants to find me, they can look me up on, um, I have a, a little website. It's susanjanewright.ca. Yeah. And they can, if they can click there, they'll find all my socials information and they'll find everything to do with this, well, this podcast will show up there. And, and a lot of that stuff will all be there for people to see and poke around in. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, Susan. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.